Welcome to Behind the Spotlight, a different kind of podcast where we have real, deep conversations with entrepreneurs and celebrity visionaries who are making their potential possible. They are certainly ahead of their time and worthy of yours. So listen as I take your favorite entrepreneurs off a pedestal and onto a bar stool right next to you. In life, it all comes down to building powerful, long-lasting relationships in a thoughtful, authentic way. You know, we all see that highlight reel of successful entrepreneurs, but I want to take you behind the spotlight and show you who they were before they figured it all out. Let's explore the sometimes torturous, but always interesting paths their lives have taken. So I'm Beth, speaker, author, entrepreneur, and a magnetic business mentor. I help entrepreneurs to strategically prepare their business and gain exposure through collaboration and media so they can make their mark on the world. I'm a huge believer in the power of potential to catapult your life forward. So join me as we explore stories of some of our favorite people leveraging their past to make their potential possible on Behind the Spotlight. On this week's episode, my guest is producer, reporter, and Emmy award-winning anchor, Carrie Barrett. We not only talk about how she went from Clemson college student to the NBC New York City anchor desk, but we also talk about her crippling fear of public speaking. I'm sure a lot of us can really relate to the fear of being in front of people and being judged. So learn how Carrie got through it and now is helping people do the same. Carrie, I'm so happy you're here with me today. You know that I adore you. And I'm so, and I'm honored, I'm actually honored. You're like, you're like a big deal to me. I, you know, personally, I love you as a friend, but professionally, I'm like, she's a big deal. This is pretty cool. You need to get out more. Well, you know, I do. You know, I do, babe. Likewise, I adore you. I'm so thrilled that you invited me to be a part of this. And I'm excited for all the juicy things we're going to talk about. I really am, you know, I, I've done a lot of research on you, but I've also, you know, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. You know, I wanted to tell everyone, so Carrie was doing a speech about a year ago, maybe even more than a year ago, and I was in the audience, and afterwards, I was like, I need to have this woman in my life, and I stood online, like, literally stood online. I was, like, the fifth person. I don't know if you remember. Like, <laughs> I do there were remember. so many people, and I was like, hi, <laughs> I'm going to tell you all my credentials so you know I'm a real person, and then maybe we'll have coffee. <laughs> And we did. And we did. But you were so sick. You were so, remember? You were sick. I did. Well, and that, that, my throat was killing me. And it, that lasted the duration of that entire winter. It wasn't until January. That was in November that we did that right. talk. I remember yeah. it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. That lasted <laughs> until January. I don't know what they hit. I, you know what? I actually, when I thought about it, I'm like, I wonder if that might've been, you know, a little of the COVID it might oh, have been. That was before we knew that it was here, really. It was just starting to become known. So anyway, yeah. I, I'm recovered maybe. regardless, You're whatever re- it was. Because this morning on the news, they said it could have been here November, December. So maybe a little yeah, antibodies see? test. Yeah, this morning on the news. Yeah. Mm. I haven't done the antibodies test. I probably should. That would be a smart thing. I just got to find time to fit the schedule. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Just fit it into your busy schedule. You know? Like I've, yeah, I fell down the stairs like two weeks ago and I'm 
almost sure that I tore something in my knee. I went to the doctor. He, he said, you need to get an MRI. I'm still waiting to schedule it because I've become like a man in that I just don't go to the <laughs> doctor, but not because I'm anti-doctor. I just need to figure out where I can jam an MRI in, although it would provide an opportunity for a little nap. I can nap anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. Even the MRI machine, because you're doing so much and you've always done so much. And one thing that I really noticed about your, you know, because I stalked you and Googled you on everything. <laughs> because you taught me, I, through, you know, I watch all your videos. You taught me to do research, like really look in theory coming, who's coming on and what, they're, and what they've been doing. You've always been on point and you've always been like the one thing I noticed was like your tenacity and your work ethic is maybe one of the driving factors to your success. What is, like when I say you have tenacity, what does that mean to you? It means that I just keep putting one foot after the next, even if I don't know exactly where I'm going or what I'm doing, or I don't feel motivated. I would say, you know, and I thank you, by the way, for saying that. I really do appreciate it. I do have a work ethic that I think was instilled in me, um, probably through my dad. And I spent 20 years in the news industry or close to it. And that's a tough that's a tough haul. I mean, it's, it's crazy hours. It's a 365, you know, 24 hour a day job. There's no weekends, there's no holidays. And I learned from that. I mean, listen, after that, and after getting up at one 30 in the morning for years on end, putting in a 10 or 12 hour day when you've woken up at five or 6 AM, it doesn't feel so bad, <laughs> but I think the key for me has been putting one foot after the other and just taking steps because despite the fact that when I started this business a little more than a year ago, I had no flipping idea what I was doing. And when I say I had no idea, and I tell this to highlight how little I knew, it wasn't until I was six months in that I even knew what a P&L was. Um, I was at a meeting and they're like, what's your, you know, I can't remember exactly what the question was. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. So <laughs> you're going to have to, you're going to have to explain what that means. Profit and loss. Yeah. Okay. Oh. I probably should know that. <laughs> yes. That's but, definitely one thing that people that are on, starting at entrepreneurs, they don't look at the financial side and they don't, there's so many yeah. little pieces that aren't a part of your, right. you know, you're, you're like, I just want to be on a journey and help people. <laughs> you're like, No. Yeah, so I know. Woo, woo, woo. It's all hippy dippy and pie in the sky kind of stuff. But there's real, I realized probably at about that time that while I had a lot of tactics, I didn't necessarily have the strategy that I needed. And I, and I, because I'd never, I've, I've never even reported on business, let alone take a business class oh, or read okay. a book. So I really had to figure out what strategy looks like and how I take all this tactical stuff and I make it actually go somewhere. That was probably the biggest learning curve because, you know, while one of my biggest strategies, and I put that in air quotes, even though you can't see me, <laughs> um, one of my biggest strategies was I would just accept any speaking engagement that I had. And the reason was I was launching a business and I just wanted to get my name out there and sort of 
rebrand myself from being a broadcast journalist into now a media trainer and sort of, you know, on camera prep public speaking coach. And so I would speak anywhere. And that was, that was great. That, that was selling from the stage. It was putting your name out there. Public speaking is a great way to scale your business and your brand. But what I didn't understand was how important the follow-up was. So I was doing all of these events and I was just hoping that people would be like, Oh, I like her. Let me hand her a suitcase of money. And it doesn't always work out that way. Surely. No, it, it <laughs> so doesn't. Learning that strategy. Yeah, I know. It's really a shame. I don't know what's wrong with people. <laughs> But that again, call, you know, really connects back to your your tenacity and your working at your work ethic, and you just kept going and you're figuring it out and working. So I wanted to, you to take us back to maybe a time when you were younger, because I know that you're very open about being bullied um, and having some issues when you were younger. Can you pinpoint a time in your life that you were like, oh, this works better for me this way, and I can get around this fear or this you know this bad event that happened to me? You know, it's interesting. Um... Honest to God, it wasn't until I got into my first job that I started to figure out that this sort of thing works, works, works better for me than being fearful. But what the mistake I made, I think, in my first job was I swung the pendulum too far in the other direction. And I don't think anybody would ever say that I was like a bitch or unpleasant to work with, but I became... A bully is too strong of a word. I was not a bully, but I became um, forceful in a way that was was not, I was not as open to listening to other people's suggestions. And the reason I say that is because I, I had my armor up. You know, I, I had my armor up instead of being fearful. I had my armor up to allow myself to go into any sort of situation. But what that meant was, I had my armor up. And so it wasn't really confidence. It was masking, right? I always say that that's sort of a mask. Mm -hmm. Really confidence is and bravery is being able to be totally vulnerable and admit when you make a mistake and take other people's opinions into account. And, And I did some of that, but not in the way that I've learned to as I have gotten older. And so it really wasn't until I was in that role as sort of a newsroom leader that I realized I had to adjust and I had to bring that pendulum back into sort of a happy center, which was scary because I'm sort of approaching that like vulnerable side again. And and that's where I had been hurt. And that's where, you know, my bullying occurred and I didn't know how to deal with it, but it's taking steps and knowing that some of those steps are going to be mistakes and some of them will invite critique and some of that critique will be spot on and figuring out what you need to bring in, what you need to push away and how you need to keep putting one foot after the other and, and trying to wake up the next day a better person than you were the day before. And I realized that was a whole heck of a lot of cliches in one sentence. <laughs> but they're all really true. And I think but you that, get the point. I know, I totally get the point. But like when you're talking about I, t- the vulnerability and the fear and, you know, putting your, your guard up all makes sense. But you're on national or, you know, you're on local and then national television. And somebody looking at you from the outside would never think that you had any fear, that you were worried about being vulnerable, that you had like you had to feel like that. Um, yet, yeah. you know, putting that mask on every day is really difficult. It is. Well, you know, and I, I realized in the beginning that I went on TV sort of in character. And I think to some degree, everybody has to do that because 
although you want to be your authentic self, listen, I can't curse on TV nearly as much as I curse in real life. So there's always calibrations you have to put on your personality. And so you, there is, there is, I don't want to say an act. That's not the quite the right word, but you do get sort of, I guess, into character, right? There's certain parts of your personality that you want to highlight. And yeah. And you have to hold your own when you're on the desk or otherwise you're going to get bulldozed. And it's, um, I mean, that's exactly what it is and figuring out how you, how you maintain that authenticity with also your strength and, and the, the softer side as well. And it's a delicate balance. It is. And I think that people want to see that delicate balance. I, I was doing the, Hey, welcome to, you know, <laughs> right. my persona was welcome to the, what was I used to say? Welcome to the kitchen of the blue barn when I was doing the nutrition cooking uh-huh. and stuff. And one afternoon, my son, who's now 18, he was like, why are you being like that? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, that's not you. And in a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, be more me. Okay. And as soon as I was more me, guess what? More yeah. people came into my business. More people watched me. More people everything me. Yeah. Because I was just being authentic. And then when I turned vulnerable, that's really when I connected with people. Right. Well, you know, and it's funny because it's like similar to when I first started broadcasting. And I've been looking for my first some of my first newscasts to try and share on LinkedIn. I promise I'll let you know if I can yes. find them. But I put I put on I put on my broadcaster's voice. Ah, here I am. I am a little girl playing news anchor on TV. And that <laughs> it's comical when you look back, but it's that same thing. You know, why the heck am I doing that? My my voice isn't terrible. I don't need to put on a voice, but it's that it's almost that sense of, well, for me anyway, I don't really like myself. So why the heck would anybody else, you know, so I'm going to try and be the person that I wish I was. And maybe other people will like that as well. That's usually not how it works though. No, not at all. But so when you're, I'm curious about where you made that transition to, I want to be on TV because you, you talk very openly about the eating disorder and being bullied and not and like you just said, like not really liking yourself. And then you're like, but then I'm going to yeah. put myself out to the world. Was Did you always yes. want to be a TV anchor? Like, where did that come from? This, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> so, no, I didn't always want to be a, uh, a news anchor. And I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit to give um, you guys who are listening uh, sort of the, the back and fill of my story. I moved around a lot as a kid. So I had made, I think, close to eight moves by the time I was in high school. Some of them wow. were overseas. So I didn't have a ton of friends that I had known for a long time. In fact, I didn't have any. And that that's difficult. And when I was living overseas, I was about, I think it was fourth grade. There was a girl by the name of Jen who was also new. And for whatever reason, took an instant disliking to me. I, we don't talk about, we didn't talk about bullying then the way that we talk about it now. And so I, I, you know, I didn't know what the heck to do. I knew that something was changing in like my heart and my head. And I felt different than I had before read worse about myself, but I, I didn't know where it really came from. And it wasn't until I went back and I, I thought about what she did, you know, a year or two later that I realized that's where it all stemmed. You know, I'm talking like putting notes on your back that say, kick me please. And I, that kind of stuff, you know, just, just mean and in fourth grade. And so, so for a long time, 
that worked its way into like on almost on a cellular level who I was. And Jen was always sort of sitting on my shoulder and informing everything I felt and everything I thought, everything I did, all the choices I made, Jen informed. Don't go to that dance. Don't speak up. Don't even cough in class because you don't want to draw attention to yourself because somebody's going to make fun of you. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying it a little bit, but there she I was. My heart there. hurts so much for that little Carrie. That really does. Oh, I, you know what? It took a lot of it took a lot of therapy to get over some of these things. I people oftentimes don't talk about that, but I think most of us, even if we're not dealing with a specific issue, could always use somebody to run thoughts and ideas by and and vent. So right. So oh my God! PSA: Go to therapy. Like yeah, everybody listening, it's the best thing I've ever done. And it Never. doesn't make everything better. I still struggle with things. We all still struggle with things. It's not the idea to make you perfect, but it's the idea to figure out what your motivating factors are. And if you're motivated by fear or you're motivated by something that is not authentic to you to figure out how to, how to change that thought process and your feelings and the way that it informs your decisions. So anyway, I'll step down from that soapbox for a second, but along the course of that, I developed an eating disorder. And I'm sure the two are related. I'm sure some of it had to do with lack of support at home. And I never talk about what my weight got down to because I know when I was in the throes of it, I would read an article and I would say, oh, look at that person. They dropped down to this. Well, that's my next new goal weight. And then I'd see, right? So I don't, I don't ever really discuss that. But when I started college, um, I was the pre-veterinary medicine major and I loved animals. It didn't have to work with a ton of people in a vet, in a vet field. And at least they weren't my, my primary interactions. And I did that for two years. And I'll tell you what, chemistry and I were not friends, man. And I've said that before. Like we had, a, we had a bad breakup and we still don't speak. And I needed to take a year and a half off to figure out what it was that I was going to do. And so I took a year and a half off and I still had no flippant idea what it was that I wanted to do, but I, my school had started a communications program. Clemson University was where I went to undergrad and it was very, very broad. So it was like speech pathology and business communications and journalism and, um, and everything in between. And so I thought surely I will be able to find something within this broad you know, sort of universe of communication studies that will, I will like, and I will be able to use to make a living. And oh, by the way, there's no science. <laughs> and I might be able to begin to get a handle on the sphere of public speaking I have. I don't know exactly how I got that idea, because trust me, that's something I never wanted to do. But I, I recognized on some level that I would need to figure it out probably in order to be successful. And so I went and got an internship at a local TV station because I could, you know, it's three extra credits I could jam in my schedule and I didn't have to sit in a classroom. I was trying to make up for lost time rather, right, ding, ding, ding. rather than 12 credits. I was taking 24 and I was really loading up my, my schedule to try and make up for time anyway. So I first day out on the, on the, as an intern, I, I absolutely loved it. I was with a reporter and a photographer and we were all, you know, it was a smaller town. It was Greenville, South Carolina, where the station was based. 
and there was it was a house fire that ended up being criminal and um and i could see the effect that these reporters had on that small town is that was a big deal you know it was an elderly couple's home they they both unfortunately passed away their son who was in his 20s was the one who started it he started it intentionally and i could i could see that um, how important that story was to that community. And I thought, holy cow, this is what I want to do. So at that point, I really had to figure out what it was that I was going to do to combat this fear of public speaking I had. And it certainly wasn't immediate. I did three more internships. I went on to um, get my master's degree. And it, despite all of that, I, it wasn't until I was probably six months into my job and that I was regularly speaking publicly on the air daily that I finally began to have the confidence, not that I was perfect, not that I have it all figured out, but that I finally began to have the confidence that if something did go wrong, I could recover and get out of it and keep the show going. And that's really where, the, where my confidence built from. It's not the confidence on being perfect. It was the confidence on understanding that if this really goes downhill or it goes sideways, I can recover and keep the show going. And that's where everything started to grow from. That's, there's so much in there I want to unpack. Like, there's, that's such a great story. You know, I do feel for that little, that little Carrie, but the fact that you were like, I need to fix this within me. Like, I know I want public speaking is one of my fears because a lot of people would have gone the other way. I'm going to yeah. be in the back of a veterinary's office, you know, playing with right. the animals, fixing them, making them feel better yeah. and making a difference, which really connects to why probably you like that reporting. It's so interesting because I also did an internship with yeah. a TV station, a news station. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if I like this so much. And then I interned at a, I interned for the Tonight Show in LA. Yeah. And I was like, this is it. I'd like that Hollywood piece of it. Yeah. I wanted to just be a part of, I wanted to be a part of the fun and the, and the excitement um, I never thought about making a difference until I got older. And what do we do now is I, you know, I really, we both make differences in people's lives. Yeah. But you know, that you worked through that enough to really make a career out of it. And when, if I'm, I believe in my research, I read your first job, you know, 10 months in you're, you were the anchor. So going back to your tenacity and your work ethic and like, I, you know, using your, your fear for good. That's, I think I started there as a weekend anchor and a weekday reporter. And, you know, here I am with a master's degree and I'm making $17,000 oh, a yeah. year. You did work in TV. Ah! so I know, yeah. But it was six months in. Uh, six, right. That's exactly, you know, you always start out that way. Sorry. <laughs> it's just, you're on the poverty diet. I'm, you know, making really good friends with the person at the drive through at the Taco Bell, all that good stuff. And I, um, it was, it was about probably about 10 months in, you're probably right that our main female anchor left and they promoted me into that position. And I, I, you know, I had worked my tail off working six hours a day or six, six hours a day. <laughs> that would have been a dream. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Who does that? I want that job six days a week for 12 hours a day. You know, you're out shooting your own video and you're editing it. And trust me, it's not pretty. Uh, and then you're producing a show, writing the stories, anchoring. I mean, it's, you are doing soup to nuts, the whole, whole shebang, sending reporters out on their assignments. So, you know, it's a small market. You're doing everything at once. I, and, and our station, by the way, was in an abandoned airplane hangar out in the middle of the field. Oh yeah. 
So, I mean, they had retrofitted it, but like, I'm, this is not some glamorous studio that you see like on yeah. TV. Those small markets are, that's not a thing. So it was after that, that I, I think I started to, well, you know what? I can't, I can't undercut the value of working with great people in terms of helping me along this journey as well. There was a producer who, when they promoted me, who produced the 5 p.m. show, and she had come from a much larger market. She'd come from Dallas, which is at that time was, I think, the fifth largest market in the country, right? New York, L.A., Philly, and Dallas. And... And she really showed me the ropes and I used to study her rundowns and I, I would print them all up, you know, hundreds of pages and I would bring them home at night and I would study how she put together the flow of her stories and how she figured out whether one story was going to have a sound bite or whether it was just going to be video with the anchor talking. And, and I would, I would just probably annoy the crap out of her with questions <laughs> about how she did everything. But Without those people along your path and reaching out to them and, and making a connection, you make, you make everything much harder. So I just, I need to say like, it's not like I did this on my own. I, I had wonderful people that I was lucky enough to work with who were giving up their time and their knowledge and I took advantage of it. And good for you because not everyone would do that. I can't imagine myself literally like, printing that out and studying that I, I'm so much more like I would study that person in in person yeah and I give you so much credit for and that's why you know partly probably why I think that you're so successful in what you did because you had that innate wanting to, to yeah. learn so much and I and I'm seeing that in a lot of the interviews that I'm doing that's a running theme yeah it's that behind the scenes just work and that, yeah. that's in the work ethic level is what it is it's not glamorous, right? It's it not, looks glamorous. It, it looks glamorous, but yeah. let me, you know what? It's 1030 when we're recording this. I haven't even brushed my teeth yet today. So let me, <laughs> okay. you look pretty good. So it's okay. But it's like behind the scenes, it's all held together with silly string and chewing gum, you know, <laughs> but um, you figure it out as you go along. Yeah. And everything. And that's definitely TV. And if that's one thing people take away from this conversation is that it's not so pretty behind the scenes, but you were then lucky enough, not lucky enough. I take that back. You then worked your tail off to get to bigger markets. I think your next one was Philly. Was that the next market? The next one was Phoenix. Also, a, also a city with a P, but Phoenix, which at the time was Wichita Falls was market 144. So to give you an idea, there's about 200 markets in the country. So it's pretty small. And I moved to Phoenix after that. And uh, Phoenix was at the time market, I think about 16 or 15. So it was a big jump. Huge. And it's bigger now because Phoenix ha has had a, a surge in growth prior to 2008. Anyway, I'm going into details that you viewers probably don't care about, but it was a big market. It was a big jump. That's all I'm trying to say. And I was there for a year. And from there, I went to Salt Lake City. And Salt Lake City, I was there for five years. And then I, it was Salt Lake City is a smaller market, but it was a bigger position. And then from Salt Lake City to Philadelphia and then from Philadelphia to New York City. So you continue to move around. That's one thing I don't think people really understand about Anchor is to get to the Philly, New York. So you really need to go through the, the gamut of those smaller markets. Oh my gosh, heck yeah, you're moving all over the place. I will say, looking back, one of the things that I appreciate about moving is that I think it, although I didn't ever articulate it this way at the time, I think it did 
encourage me and inspire me to learn more about people's stories and like their different cultures and different experiences that people bring to the table. And so I think there was a part of, of moving all, all around, especially overseas that intrigued me into, you know, that's part of what inspired me into telling into moving into the broadcast journalism uh, field, because I, I enjoy telling people's story. I, I enjoy telling them with video. And I think that's part of what encouraged me to move in that direction, even though I, like I said, I didn't articulate it that way at the time. But yes, to answer your question, you continue to move all over the place. And, and I never had a desire, honestly, to go to New York City. I was perfectly content in Philadelphia, um, despite working with probably the worst person that I've ever worked with. <laughs> I will not name names, but... <laughs> But then New York came calling and I moved, I, I decided, you know, actually my husband and I hemmed and hawed for quite some time about whether we were going to move to New York and, or up to this direction. And, uh, and we ultimately did because there were a lot of what if questions, what if you don't take it, will you regret it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As it turns out, I'm not in the TV news business any longer, but I'm so glad I made the move. I don't regret it in the least. I met wonderful people. I made great connections. I learned a ton and, and I'm near New York. So, you know, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Well, I couldn't leave New York. I did go to LA for a little bit, but I had to come back. It was, yeah, like, I don't, it's, it gets it's in my in your blood. blood, right? Yes. It totally yeah. does. I do love Philly and it sounds like you didn't have the best experience there. And, and, and that must've been really hard. And maybe did that maybe also bring up things that you had really pushed down and worked through? It did. So I love Philadelphia. I'll put oh, yeah. that out there. I love the city. Oh my gosh, I do. It's changed so much. Even in the past five years, when I go back down now, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is still the city I love, but the landscape looks so different. It's really growing. Oh, and the restaurant when scene I, there is amazing. It's amazing, right? right? Oh, it's amazing. I know. Yeah. It's fantastic. Like you can still find those little hole in the wall restaurants where there's like six tables and you can get in and it's not like a three week wait. It's and the food's <laughs> amazing. And, and you can eat for two people for like a hundred bucks. Uh, you can't do that in New York. <laughs> no. <laughs> At least not or, that. Yeah. Our favorite is Zahav. I don't know if you've ever been to Zahav. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yes. So when you say Philly, that's what I think of. I think of that pita and oh, anyway, anyway, back to, back to you. <laughs> I, I, well, I have a million questions, but we well, we should have our restaurant discussion after. <laughs> Anybody listening, if you have the chance to go eat at Zahav in Philadelphia. Uh, so, yeah, so I moved to Philadelphia in 2008 with my husband. 2008, as we all know, was a terrible year to make a job change, <laughs> uh, although many of us had one forced upon us. And I moved with him without having a job lined up. He had left the Air Force and he was now flying, at least active duty, he was now flying for Delta and the New Jersey Air National Guard part-time. So we moved to Philadelphia and I didn't have anything set up and I just started knocking on doors and saying, I'm here, here's my resume tape and my resume, would you be interested? in hiring. Of course, everybody had a hiring freeze, but there was one station who was hiring freelancers. And so that station hired me and I ended up staying there for uh, five, almost eight years. And it was actually a, a fantastic experience for me. I have met some, some dear, dear friends there. I, some of, 
some of whom work at the Today Show now. Um, I've, I worked with uh, Mike Jarek on the morning show there, and he uh, used to work at Fox and Friends. And uh, the Mike and Juliet show, which was a syndicated program on Fox. And he, man, that man is a genius at good TV. And, and I learned so much from him. Uh, he, hands down, the best mentor I ever had, although I, I never specifically asked him to be one, but he, he knew how to sort of guide talent along. And by talent, for those of you who are not used to the industry, I, <laughs> yes, I'm referring to myself as talent, but that's just what they call the people who are on the camera. Um, and he, he was tough to work with. I'll tell you this, love him. And he, and he knows this. We've had this conversation. He's a dear friend. Um, but I, I, the show was really hard. It's a six hour show. There's a lot of political interviews. There's a lot of live interviews. There's entertainment. That stuff's kind of easy. There's a ton of breaking news. And I struggled to keep up. And I always I would go home in tears and wonder why, why didn't Mike, you know, help me along with that? Or why did he insist on doing it this way when he knew that I wasn't able to do that? And I realized only later the genius of that. He wasn't going to dial back his performance in order to help me boost mine up. He was going to keep his performance up here so that I had to learn how to meet him. Had he brought it back, it would have ruined the show and I wouldn't have learned as much. And that was not exclusive to me. That's exclusive. That's for everybody that he works with. But I understood his genius post and he made me a better journalist. He made me a better anchor and he made me a better, a better person to work with. And I had a great experience with him. Uh, there was another person I worked with there who uh, you referenced, uh, I think, when you were saying Philly might not have been the greatest experience for you, uh, who was who was not that way at all, who, who came across as a friend, but behind my back would go into the news director's office and badmouth me and say that I shouldn't be here and that I did this, that, or the other thing. Um, and then come out of the office and comes, comes to me and say, boy, the news director just called me in his office and he really is not sure that you should be on this show. But I told him that I really loved you and that you, that you need, he needed to keep you there. So he played, would play both of us. And I wasn't until, you know, five months in of this that I, that I realized what was going on. And I'll tell you how I realized it's, it's really silly, but it, this was the first thing that sort of led me to do a little slew of things. So he and I, we were anchor, we anchored together, this guy and I, and hours on end, we had to sit a foot away from each other and make nice on TV. And knowing that he, you know, had no respect for me and was actively trying to sabotage me. So somebody handed me some scripts across the desk, you know, paper scripts. This is the news story. And I reached across the desk to grab them. And this guy grabbed the back of my arm and he said, wiggle, 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 jiggle, jiggle, jiggle. How's that diet going for you? Oh my I, God. I had just come back from having my first child. Okay. Like, uh, and he did it on camera with everybody <gasps> watching. 
And this is how I first had a discussion with my boss because my boss saw it. And he said, you need to file an HR complaint. I said, that's not how I roll. I probably should have in retrospect, but I'm afraid, you know, I was afraid to stir the pot. Also. It was a different time too. It wasn't something. Time. I was yeah. afraid to stir the pot. I didn't want to make things worse. I said, I'm not going to file an HR complaint. If something like that happens again, I will. But that led to a discussion with me, my boss, about what was going on. And I was able to get some tactics and strategy for, for dealing with this person who ultimately lost their job there. But TV news is filled or can be filled with tough people and big egos. I have been super lucky in that I have worked with some amazing people. I mean, truly big personalities, smart, interesting, funny, very diverse, broad understanding of many different topics. This is really the only one jerk that I had to deal with. And I had to deal with him on air. And that forced me to, to dig down and figure out how to stand my ground and grow a spine, but not be combative. I couldn't be combative with him. I needed to, again, make nice with him on TV. So I really had to figure out where my center was, for lack of a better word, and mm -hmm. how I could make nice with him, uh, compartmentalize this other stuff and then deal with that on my own. And that was, that was a tough one, but that's a really tough one. Wow. And we've all, I'm sure we've all had stories of people that we've worked with who have been less than supportive, right? You must have some too. Yeah. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. And I've had, and I've definitely had those, you know, you need to lose weight, you need to gain weight. You need, I've had all that kind of stuff for a while. I did want to be an actress. And I was yeah. all over New York going for go -sees, but I just didn't have that, I don't know, that real fire burning, you know, much, now I like being in front of the camera for, for a long time I was behind the camera, but like when you're, yeah. when you're listening to your story, that driving force that kept you going and that uh, allowed you that to give yourself that space to finally get to New York and finally have that huge yeah. career and then be like, you know what guys, I'm done and start your own thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you know, TV news had been had been losing its luster for me for quite some time for a number of reasons, not the least of which is getting up at 1.30 in the morning with three young <laughs> kids. By the end of my stint in New York, I was a I was a mess. I mean, a full fledged mess. I was having trouble bringing my full self to work every day. I mean, I could put on the show when the, when the light when the red light went on, but outside of that, I was just a shell of myself, and. And coverage had turned largely political, which, you know what, I'm interested in politics and I can cover it, but I never would have signed up for a political role. Uh, and, and that brings with it a whole slew of trolls. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, those trolls would work on Twitter. And so it was time. It was it was time for me to do something different. I didn't know what that was going to be. I certainly never in intended on starting a business. <laughs> I was just networking, figuring out what the heck is it that I can do work. I mean, people go into PR oftentimes after TV mm -hmm. news, or after a journalism career, but what does that actually look like? I know what PR does, but what does the day to day look like? Is it something I would enjoy? Uh, and so I was networking, trying to figure out what skills I had that could be applied to different industries and whether I would like those industries. And I was meeting with a woman who did PR and communications at a large law firm in the city. 
And she said, you're crazy to think about going back into an agency or going back into corporate. You have this skill set that you have curated. And over 20 years talking on camera and doing video and video storytelling and public speaking, and you have a story about how you got there. Also, by the way, you need to go in and help people with that. That's a need people have now, especially with video content being mm -hmm. king, whether it, whether they're people are looking for it on CNN or MSNBC or Fox business with media hits, or they're looking to create DIY marketing videos for their small, their small business, or they're looking for a brand, a video brand story for their website. You need to go in and help people with that. And I said, Holy cow. Yes, I do. That sounds great. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm going to start a business done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I went home Yay. like coming in. I, what you don't know how to balance a checkbook which is true. And nonetheless, I was absolutely sure of what I was going to do. And I have not deviated from that once, which doesn't mean I don't wake up occasionally with a whole crap moment or just like, you know, the stress. Oh, yeah. I, the first year is you're just in the thrash. But I wake up pretty much every morning truly, this sounds so cheesy, but so excited to get down to it. I love it. I had somebody ask me not too long ago whether I miss TV news. I miss the people, but news, I don't I don't I don't even think about it. Uh you know, I I watch it sometimes, but outside of that, done. No regrets yeah. and I am thrilled with where I am now. Well, my heart's bursting for you because I know I I know it I remember that first year, but also that I woke up this morning. I was like I'm so excited to talk to Carrie and the, you know, doing the <laughs> podcast for me. It's so exciting, but <laughs> I wanted to go back one because I had a question. Having yeah. three kids yes. in a couple of years, because they're kind of close together, mm -hmm. and waking up at one o'clock in the morning, that had to be a shit show. Oh my God. I can't it was even I, I wasn't working when I had my kids. Yeah. So I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you. I was a disaster. <laughs> So I would get up at 1.30, I would leave at 2 in the morning, I would be into 30 Rock at 3 a.m. in the makeup chair immediately, and then on the air at 4. And I would leave work around 10, I'd go home, I'd sleep for about two and a half hours before the kids got back from school, then it's you know, then it's homework and dinner and some playtime and reading books and bath time and getting them to bed. And then I would sleep for another two and a half hours and then I would get up and go to work. I did that Monday through Friday and I was a 100% mess. I love the idea on paper of being home in the afternoon when they keep home from school, but the most I could, the most I could do was sit on the couch and drool. I mean, like that's literally all I had. Left to say. And so that was, I mean, I'll share a quick story with you. After I had my third, I had him when I was working at NBC and, you know, I nursed all my kids for a year post. And so NBC has these really nice lactation rooms where you can go up and private and you can pump. And so I went up there after the morning show to pump before the first cut in. I fell asleep. I mean, I fell hard. I woke up probably an hour and a half later, I still had the pumps attached and sucking. <laughs> I mean, it was like painful at that point. They were, rah, 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 rah. there's nothing left in here. Rah, 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 rah. Do you want to see? <laughs> and there were like 18 voicemails on my phone. I never heard it ring. 
And that's the kind, I mean, it was right next to me. That's the kind of exhausted I was. And it, I, yeah, I was not a happy person. I was not a pleasant person at home anyway. It was, that was a tough, that was a real tough road to hoe. I can't, I literally can't even imagine. And I, you know, I went back and looked at some, and some of your film because doing my research and like, honestly, the thing I thought of, I was like, how is her skin look so good? Like knowing what of a shit show it must have been. And I was like, you know, I don't make up and all that kind of stuff. But did that come into your decision making on when you were having your kids? Or you were just like, this is how I want my life to end up? Is, was, well, was that a thought process? So let me quickly answer the makeup question. I, when I rolled into 30 Rock, I looked like I wrestled with a bag of hammers all night <laughs> long. Okay. Like, it was really not pretty. But they spray that stuff on you. <laughs> thank God. And, yeah. and they are good at what they do because everybody on the morning show looks like a mess when they walk in. So they're quite talented. Um, but no, you know, I, I, my husband and I were married for almost eight years before we had our first. He was active duty military at the time. I found out I was pregnant with her when he was actually in Iraq. And uh, we knew that we didn't want to, um, we knew that his time at that point was ending. And we knew that we didn't want to have kids before we had it, some stability and agency over where we lived. And so I had her and then I actually had four miscarriages before I had my second. So I had intended to have him much closer than I ended up. There was about four years between the two of them. And then the third, I, I don't know why I was gung ho for a third. I would have had a fourth. My husband's like, you're nuts. I don't know how you <laughs> yes. can forget how hard the beginning is, yes. but nonetheless, we had, we had a third. I had one miscarriage before him. So it took a little bit longer to get there as well. But after the first, there was not much planning in terms of timing. It was just when we were lucky enough to have one stick. And oh, at the and there were beautiful children. Of, oh, thank you. They They're are. all crazy. But. <laughs> I know, but you, you talk about them, like, you know, when we talk, and they just seem like, you know, I miss, I miss having little kids until I'm with yeah. little kids for more than two hours. So I, right. I appreciate oh my everything that you do, but they're, you know, you tell me little stories about them. They're really sweet. It's uh, it's, that's, that's really nice. They're time consuming. <laughs> But they are very sweet and they um, there's nothing better than seeing their faces smile when I emerge from my work from home office now at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, I have teenagers. So when my kids want to talk to me or they're or they want to, you know, they're they know that you're, we're on and they're they're very interested because I make them do research with me. I'm like, can you guys look up this? Can, you know, because I try to get them involved. Do they text you? Is that how you let you know that they want have to Have you seen my them? eyes? I have, they've been texting. How's it going? How's it going? They're so cute. That, that is awesome. You have good boys too. You really do. And you're going through the whole college thing and figuring out what comes <sighs> next. That's a whole other set of, of, I don't know what it is, stress, I guess, stress. and decisions. Stress. And yeah. 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 It's a lot, but, but, you know, and I, like you, I think we have a lot of traits that are similar. I really, and I'm trying to give it to them. And I think you are too, really trying to show them what hard work looks like. So I hit the back, not hard work, smart work looks like, because we don't need to work 16 hours any day. It, right. What relationships look like adult, adult, healthy relationships look like. 
what a win-win looks like. Yep. All of that stuff is so important. They're not the things that they teach in school, but it's what they pick up at home. No. And I know that one of your new initiatives is know your worth. And that's also something that I talk about a lot in, in what I do and with my kids. And really, honestly, I talk about that a lot with my nieces and my nieces and my little cousins who are women, girls and women, because I feel like what I'm seeing out there is that they're not really knowing their worth. So what, what inspired you to do that? And tell us more about what you're doing. So you're absolutely right. I, I see it with my nine-year-old. I am extremely self-aware of the words I use to describe our, our bodies and our health. I talk, I don't talk about weight. I, they'll never see me complaining about my weight. They'll see me talking about exercising as a way to keep our bodies healthy and strong and not just our bodies, but our minds. They'll see me talk about how it's okay to have treats sometimes, but when we're talking about the best fuel for our body to keep us healthy, we need vegetables and we need protein and we need, right? That's how we talk about health and nutrition and diet in our house. But I see my nine-year-old nonetheless come back to me and say, so-and-so is skinnier than me. And by the way, my daughter is, you know, as big <laughs> yeah. around as, as, as a, as a stick, a teeny tiny little twig. That's never the issue. The issue is never what you weigh, it's how you feel. And so I try not to come back to her with, well, you're so skinny. You're much skinnier than that girl. Because that's, again, not the point. It's, it's talking about where that worth comes from and why that makes somebody better than you if you think if they're skinnier or why it makes you worse than them if you're bigger. Why do you feel that way? So to, so to answer your question, the Know Your Worth was really inspired by, and, it, and it, it kind of comes under this umbrella of this video project that I'm doing called Carrie's Corner. And there's a, there's a Know Your Worth video initiative and a That Sucks Get Back Up video initiative. And they Love both, they, all of them really sort of work together. But it came about because I have in the course of owning my business, met so many phenomenal women. I mean, when I tell you I feel surrounded, again, this is going to sound corny and cheesy, but I do, I feel so supported and surrounded, not just by the people who I have hired to help me, but the friends and the colleagues and the partners that I've made along this journey, like you, for example, you know, people that were, were there for supporting each other and the stories that I've heard from them about how they struggled, how they figured out what their worth was, the licks that they took before they found their path and how they were able to pick themselves back up. I thought this is a great initiative to talk about on social media. At the end of the road is, is a book that I'm working on that ties everything together, Ooh. their stories, my stories and everything. But this is a great way to sort of start those conversations. And so I'm reaching out to women and men who would like to share their stories with me via video about how they knew their worth and what their that sex moment was and how they picked themselves up and got to where they are now. And then I like to share those stories again with my platforms to to highlight all of our different struggles, because there is always a story behind the facade, no matter what you see and how perfect something looks, there's always a struggle going on there. Um, and, and there were, there will be new struggles coming up and there were other struggles in the past. And we can all learn from that 100%. And that's really the goal. I'm oh, I love that. And actually that was one of the reasons that I wanted to do the podcast is because I wanted people to share those stories. Like, like, like you shared having trouble in Philadelphia, having trouble having kids. Like I feel like our personas or our brands are so shiny and it's all the good stuff. But a short story, I did a video three and a half years ago that said I'm struggling. And it was literally me 
in my dining room going, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Like, what am I doing? This is so hard. Maybe I should do that video. I get more response. Even yesterday, I got response to it because somebody found it and said, this helped me. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it is so important. Like, I know that we talk about we're a community that overshares and we everybody tells every little nitty gritty detail of their life. And, and I, you know what, I guess I don't need to know every time you poop, but <laughs> please don't tell me. <laughs> but if, but if, if, if I'm in an IBS support group, maybe I do. But the, but the point is, we all, I don't believe that. I believe that there's value in, and A, everybody being able to share what they're struggling with and find that support also for other people who are going to learn from it. I, I remember that I did a story on all of my miscarriages when I worked in Philadelphia and it was, it was a long piece. And I really debated for a long time about whether it was something I wanted to put out there. And the, the onslaught of response I got from women who had gone through the same thing was confirmation that this was, even though this is something that's very common, it's something that people still need an outlet to talk about. And I had several people say, I always saw you on the news and thought everything behind the scenes was working so perfectly. You always looked like you had it together. I'm like, oh no, like I said to you earlier, it's silly string and chewing gum. And that's, that's <laughs> how I hold it together. And Smoke and mirrors, you know, you're right. We all put those up to make our brand seem shiny, but there's always something going on in the background to some degree, right? It doesn't always have to be serious or a crisis, but there's always a struggle and it helps to find support among people that have a common mindset and common goals. Oh, hundred percent. And, and sharing those, those, uh, those stories make a big difference. And even in the, in our entrepreneur circles, I do find that women under price themselves a lot. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like that, mm -hmm. it's, it's an epi I want to say it's an epidemic with a caveat that I know it's not that serious, but when right. I talk to new entrepreneurs or even women that have been doing this for 25 years and they want to work with me to get online and get some press, it's amazing that I'm like, that's what you're charging. <laughs> like, it's almost laughable, but I think it's connected to those stories that you're going to share about knowing what they're really worth. Yeah. Well, you said the same thing to me. I'm like, really? But it, but it is, it's so crazy. I did an interview with Jean Chatsky, who's a, one of the financial contributors on the Today Show not too oh, long ago. Her. And she's like, this is, I, do, I love her too. And, yeah. and we are becoming more knowledgeable. There was a point decades ago when the women had almost no agency over their finances. And I think that legacy sort of lives on to some degree in that there's a number of us who still struggle to charge what we worth, what we're worth or have trouble talking about money and asking for it. And that's a, that's a, I mean, that's, that is what owning a business is about at the end of the day. You do want to make some money and cover your bills, yeah. but it's, it's a tough thing to ask for what you're worth. I mean, I find myself when people say, what are your rates? I used to find myself, well, this is my rate, but I'm afraid to tell them that. So I'm going to drop it down. Right. I like, why did I do that? I, it's silly, but we, we, it's like self-sabotage we can fall into those traps very easily. And it helps to have, it helps to have someone like you when I share my story <laughs> say, that's not hey. enough lady. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. I had a client recently that called me up. She's like, I did it. I'm like, what did you do? She goes, I said a thousand dollars more than I normally charge. And they just said, yes. And I was like, great. Next time it's $2,000 more. There you go. It was like, just keep going. 
No, I think, yeah, exactly. I think it's really important. And I think also the, you know, that sucks, get back up is, I think it's, for me, that I think will be such an imperative part of the whole, the whole thing that you're, your whole campaign that you're trying to do, because I had a really, really tough last couple of years. Uh, unfortunately, we lost a lot of people in a lot of tragedy before COVID. Um, that took me a really long time to even get back to being, being me and being here. And when I started sharing that story is honestly where I started to heal. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, and it is. And, and the response that I got from people was like, thank you so much for sharing. And they made such a difference at helmet. Like I had no idea that, you know, my father-in-law being hit by a car, taking out the garbage and dying and how I responded to it was going to help so many people and with, and things that had no relation. So I am, I can't wait to come on and, you know, tell you guys the whole story, but um, for other people to really understand and to create that conversation of like, let's talk about the dirt. Let's stop being with the, the ring lights and the makeup and all, you know, because Carrie's wearing makeup and I'm not right now. <laughs> but, you know, all that stuff that goes around it. I think, you know, we, we've been inside for so long. Let's just get real and be real. And that's what I've always wanted. I, I've always tried to do that with my clients and my friends and my family and even my platforms. It's just like, this is the real me guys. I'm not putting it on anymore because I literally can't. Yeah. Well, first of all, you're beautiful. <laughs> Second of all, I'm sorry for your loss. I, I know that these years, the last couple of years have been tough. I think you're doing a freaking awesome job with everything that you have cooking. And you're right. There's let's get down to the nitty gritty. And I think, you know, I, I would love to have you share your story with me. And I would love, you know, the people that I speak with, for example, I have an, an, um, an ex NFL player who I spoke to and he had everything going for him and he hit rock bottom. I mean, rock bottom, like $200 in his pocket, homeless, um, working as a janitor. And he now a few years later has launched a successful business consultant and keynote speaking business. And I think those like we, what, how could that possibly happen to somebody that had all of that going for them, but it happens every day and being able to brush away the shiny pieces and look at the dirt. And like you said, people were, not only did you get to sort of release some of what you were holding on to, but it helped other people as well. It's, it's helpful for you. It's cathartic. And when you realize that, it doesn't make you a bad person or it doesn't make you weak. And in fact, sharing that helps other people. It, it, it gives you a whole new sense of perspective. Oh, it definitely has helped me a lot. And I can't wait to, I can't wait to be on. I appreciate that. Let's tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, thank you. Uh, so you can find me on my website, which is Carrie. And my name is spelled a little differently than most. It's K-E-R-R-Y. So CarrieBarrettConsulting.com. You can also find me on all of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. There's a few TikTok videos <laughs> and LinkedIn. And, and you can email me. It's Carrie at CarrieBarrettConsulting.com. Oh, thank you, Carrie. And if you do email Carrie, she'll actually answer you. So you have I will. actual I questions promise. for her. I, I get back almost immediately. <laughs> She's very good about thank email. you. So, Carrie, thank you so much for coming on. I adore you. And I can't wait to be witness to your genius moving forward. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Beth. You also likewise, I love being witness to your genius. And I think <laughs> this podcast is fantastic. And I, I look forward to many years of staying in good touch and supporting one another with our business goals and our personal goals. You're awesome. <laughs>